we had a group of young people come through our church. Their parents were in our church, and they were wild Indians. One time, they set off these bombs, uh, uh, not real bombs, but bombs in school, and all got thrown out and got in the newspaper and everything. So anyway, I kept telling the people in our church, particularly my family and friends, now listen, just give them some time. They're wild Indians, and when they get control of themselves, it may take 20 years, they're going to be dynamic leaders in the church. They were endowed with extra special energy, and it happened with every one of them. Uh, we were just talking about one of them, elder in a church, good brothers with families, and uh, we got them through about seven or eight years of madness. And uh, I'll tell you one story. We were bringing them home from Emmaus, and I had to sleep with one of them in a room, and he was talking to me all night. I just finally went to sleep. But the next day, we got caught in a big snowstorm, and the cars were all stopped on A80 in, in Nebraska, and we just couldn't go anyplace. And so we're sitting in this line of cars. We had about four cars, and it was one of those Emmaus visit the weekends, and we had the three wild Indians with us. And I'm, I'm sitting in the car waiting, and all of a sudden, I see someone running by me on the right, no shirt on, shorts on, running up all the way. I said, uh-oh, I, I'm afraid that's Jeff Fulf from our church. A minute later, another guy goes running by in shorts, no shirt on or anything, and it's, I mean, it's really freezing out. Then they come back this way, and I just said, Lord, you need to work a little faster on these fellows. But they did all turn out to be very, very fine Christian young men. We just had to be extremely patient with them. But all I could think of is their poor parents. And uh, their parents are, of course, all worn out today. That's a true story he, he was talking about. So, if you have your notes in front of you, you'll see our series for the next three messages, Biblical Strategy for Aging Gracefully and Effectively. Now, there are some very fine young men back there. Look at them back there. Look, You can tell they're fine young men. I hope you're not wild Indians. And then we've got some nice young men over here, and they're probably saying, what am I coming to a conference on aging? Do you want to know something? You are aging. You are aging. So it's for you. And if you get these principles young, it will help you enormously in life. Because when you do get older, I will not mention a particular age, very hard to change. Very hard to change. Very few people when they get older do change. That's why you see very few older people come to Christ. Very few. My father came to Christ at 85, but that's very, very rare. People seem to get cemented in their minds and in their views, and they don't change. We have had for many years a Sunday ministry at a very, very large complex for seniors. And um, we have run a church service there for probably 15 years. And there will be 50 or 60 people that will come. They're all people in their 70s and 80s. They, they're all on their feet. You can't be in there unless you can take care of yourself. And... Uh, in all those years, we've only seen one person saved, and we give them good teaching, we give them good music, and they love it, and they even come to a midweek Bible study. But somehow, it's so hard to penetrate those cemented brains. So if you're young here, you ought to think about how to age 
gracefully and effectively for God because it happens real fast. And that's a scriptural teaching. We live in a new age for aging. People are living longer now than ever in modern history. At the beginning of the 20th century, the average age of, of life was 48 years of age. And when Social Security was established in 1935, the average life expectancy was only 72. Great deal for the government because you'd pay into the Social Security and be dead by 70. Now people living in their 80s and 90s and even 100, Social Security is running out. Now the average life expectancy is 79 years of age. We refer to this today as the age wave, the age wave, a a gigantic tsunami of aging people. 10,000 Americans turn 70 every single day. And when people were asked in a survey throughout the United States, what age is an older person? The majority said 75 to 80. So, 70 is the new 60. So, the world is gray. This is a phenomena that can be a great advantage to us, or we can let it slip by us. Senior ministry is going to be the big ministry of the future. And this is true, not just here in America. It's true in Japan, in Europe today. Large numbers of people living into their... Uh, 80s and into their 90s, and in many countries, we're not replacing the population to deal with these older groups. So my message to you is that we as Christians should use this new age uh, day of aging for the gospel and for the church of Jesus Christ. We should seize on this and see what advantage it can have for the gospel. I know in our own church, we have been deeply blessed by many women who have retired And they are very busy in our church. And they bear heavy responsibilities. Surveys have shown the most stable group in a church are the people over 50. You don't really build a stable church on young people. We had in our church, uh, in our church, in our city, a church that in months grew from just maybe 10 or 20 people to thousands. And within a year, they were up to 3,500 people. Vast, uh, vast growth. And I went to this church. All young people went to see it. And uh, today that church does not exist. Churches are built on stable people, not people who come and go. And it's really the crowd over 50 that builds a stable church. In fact, I read this statement. Many churches depend heavily upon members who are over 50 years of age and provide the backbone of the church. They'll be at all the meetings. They'll support the church when things are hard, and they give financially, and many are willing to work. So, seniors, you are needed. Do not back off. Do not let anyone tell you you are not needed. In fact, you might find your greatest ministry later in life. Now, in light of this new age that we live in, my message today is a biblical strategy for aging gracefully and effectively for God. So, we will turn now to a verse of Scripture that uh, is most centered on this whole question of aging and explains to us why we live such a short time on earth, why it's so uncertain, 
and why it's so full of trouble. And it's Psalm 90. If you will turn to Psalm 90 and you can follow me in your notes. Psalm 90 is a masterpiece of prayer. It's a lament psalm. It's the oldest of all the psalms. It was written by Moses while he was in the wilderness after Kadesh Barnea. Moses watched a million point two people die. Eighty-five people a day died. Seven funerals per hour. And if you were 20 years old at the time of the judgment, you would only live to be 58 years of age. Moses was marching the nation of Israel in a death march of judgment of God upon them for their continuous unbelief, complaining, and idolatry. Moses knew a lot about death and dying. He had watched plenty of it. And the question would come, why? Why do we live this short life upon earth? And why is it so uncertain? And it's a life full of trouble. This psalm answers that. And so, in aging, we need to know why God allows this and what God has ordained for us. So, let's look at this psalm. It explains why we die so early. And your outline starts with God is our security. Verse 1, now we have the superscription, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So, we do know the author of this psalm. Lord, and he's speaking now for the nation of Israel, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In the very difficult times of Israel's history, God has been their home. God has been their shelter. God has been their provider and their comforter. Not Moses, no person, only God has been their dwelling place. This is meant to comfort the people of God, to give them faith. And the same thing can be true of us. God has been our dwelling place in our generations and he's been the one who's kept us alive. There would be no nation of Israel if it wasn't for the Lord. Again and again, they nearly destroyed themselves. Then there's a comparison with God with man. And there are two major points here. God is eternal, verses 2 and 4, and man is transitory. Let's look at verse 2 and 4. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Boy, yesterday went fast, didn't it? And as a watch in the night, just a few hours. That's how God views time. So the first verse tells us that God is an eternal God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the Alpha and Omega. God does not die. But in contrast to the eternity of God, which is a major theological belief in our God that He is the only eternal being. All else is dust. Martin Luther was once asked, what's your theology? He said, well, there's God and all else is dust. In, in contrast, in absolute contrast to the eternal one who existed before the planet existed, before the mountains and the oceans, is man as transitory. And we see that in verses 3 to 6. You return man to dust, this actually comes out of Genesis, and say, return, O children of man. 
In other words, God just speaks. You're going back to dust. What a contrast with God, who is the eternal one. God says to us, because of our sin, go back to dust. You will die. From dust I made you, from dust you will return. Verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Man is dust. And we will die. And our bodies will return to dust. And if you've ever seen death, if you've ever seen a dead body, it's a really pretty sickening thing. And especially if you've ever smelled a dead body. I have several relatives, including my own brother, we found dead after, after a number of days. It's amazing how quickly this body corrupts and returns to dust. Just absolutely amazing. And uh, God is telling us something. This is the dreadful consequences of sin. Sin is taken very seriously by God. Now, three in your outline. Man's sin in God's wrath explains the shortness of life. Why do we live just short little time and it's like a dream? It's, it's like grass that comes and goes. It's like a sigh. Well, we have this in verses 7 and 8. God's anger against sin. Verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. We're brought to death by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. And he's thinking here of Israel's many sins and uh, the sins of unbelief and the sins of idolatry and the sins of complaining. They're, they were very, very serious. And they were brought before God's eyes. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. And so he emphasizes here Israel's horrifying sins which clamor for punishment. And Israel knew this. God had warned them repeatedly they would be cursed if they disobeyed. He warned Adam and Eve of the same kind of just judgment would come. And again, that's because we don't see sin as God sees it. He sees it so seriously, he says, your life must end. And it's a just judgment. So why do we live 70 years, 80 years? Why is it so short and uncertain? Because of God's wrath and judgment against our sin. We may not like it, but at least we know why. We have an answer here. Now, this brings us to the brevity of human life, verses 9 and 10. Key verses in our series here. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Think of the books written recently that deny that God is angry with sin every day or deny the wrath of God and only emphasize love. Do they actually read the Bible? God is angry with sin every day and he says here, for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. It's just like, oh, end of life. So here's what God has done in verse 10. The years of our life are 70. Now, up to a certain period, people were living much longer. They were living, you know, 120 years, 140 years, and even before that, even longer. There's no reason why your body can't live hundreds of years. It's a self-generating machine. But something was put in the human 
anatomy in the hormonal system that kills us by 70 or 80. Now, the body is an amazing machine. And what's interesting is as we go on in time now, we, get, we know more and more about the, the chemistry of the body and, and the marvel and the complexity of the body. In fact, they have these conferences called complexity conferences where top scientists get together each year and talk about the new discoveries of how complex everything is in the body. Everything. But think of this. You're born and there's a hormonal system that kicks in and it starts to grow you. And within a year, you grow quite a bit. And within the next 13 years, you grow into adolescence and you're growing the whole time. And then you hit adolescence. Another system kicks in and you move into a whole new stage of life with a new set of hormones. And the poor boys, we've got we've got three grandsons just verging into 13 and 14. And we're praying day and night, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, help us. And then you sort of level out for a long time. It's like a plane flight. It's taking off, right? And then you, then you get to 37,000 feet and then you just cruise for a long time, right? And then that tilt, that just a little tiny tilt. You go, oh, we're, we're getting ready to come down. That's about 50 years of age. And all of a sudden, another whole system kicks into place. It does. It's, it, it, you start losing muscle. Your skin sags. You, you're losing billions of brain cells. Um, you can't process protein as much anymore. All kinds of things happen to you. You have a lot of diseases and problems and aches and pains and knee replacements and hips replacements and glasses and hair pieces and uh, ear pieces. And oh my. Costs a lot of money to get older, let me tell you. And then you go to the doctors a lot and you take a lot of pills. It reminds me of my father. I went to visit him one time in New Jersey. And I went into his bedroom and on the top of his dresser, a whole line of pills and vitamins. So I said, Dad, what are all those pills and vitamins? He said, I don't know. I just take them every day. So he told me this story about his friend, who also was a widower, and he got so confused with the pills that he poured all his pills and vitamins into a big bowl and every day took a handful. <laughs> so my dad said, what do you think of that? And I said, well, Dad, they're not M&M's. No, we'll figure this out and I'll write up something for you. Yes, that's, that's what it's like. God in his wrath, and really in his mercy too, just basically limited our life to 70 years. Now, if you take Geritol Sr., and if you jog, and if you eat, uh, don't eat too many of those chicken fried steaks with all that gravy, and you eat a lot of vegetables, maybe you'll extend it to 80, if by strength, 80. Now, if you're over 80, you are on bonus years. So every morning, get up and say, Lord, thank you for another bonus day in life. But basically, that's what it's supposed to be. 70 or 80 years. But it, it's even worse. It gets worse. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. So you may live to 80. But on this earth, there's going to be toil and trouble. Jesus said in John 6 that in this world you will have tribulation. You'll have trouble. They are soon gone. And we fly away. That is life in this brief world. Billy Graham, at 85 years of age, was on the Larry King live show. And Larry King asked Billy Graham, Billy, has there been any surprises in life? And Billy said, brevity of life. The biggest surprise, how fast it went. 
Well, that's exactly what our psalm says. They are soon gone. And we fly away. Listen to what King David says, and these are powerful words, and they're very similar to Moses' words, which tells me wise people understand the doctrine of the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, and the trouble of life. Listen to what King David writes. My heart became hot within me as I mused, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to muse on aging and the brevity of life. As I mused, the fire burned, and I spoke with my tongue, O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days as a few handbreadths. A handbreadth is something like this, a few handbreadths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely, all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely, a man goes about as a shadow. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I muse and my heart burned in me when I think of the shortness of life. Lord, let me consider my days. David was a deep thinker. And one of the things I want to talk about at this conference is that we think deep about these realities, serious realities. First Chronicles 29, 15. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. We don't hang around here forever. That's why the world is full of cemeteries. And there's a plot for you. What is your life, James says? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, I won't go through all these verses, but I listed verses for you there to see that this is a consistent biblical teaching. Life is short and life goes by quickly. And it's a troubled life. And it's uncertain. No one is guaranteed 99 years with a lease to re, uh, uh, an option to renew. Some of you are young here. You may not get past 20. You don't know. In our own church, we've seen a number of young men and young women die young. Now, the only wise response to this awful human condition is to pray for divine wisdom to know how to live this life and manage this life properly. So this brings us to a prayer for wisdom. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Henry Amir wrote these words. To know how to grow old is the master work of wisdom. And one of the most difficult chapters in the great art of living. And if you look at Proverbs 9.11, he tells us by wisdom, you have length of days, and by wisdom you add to life. So, in other words, wisdom will help you live longer. You say, well, how does that happen? Well, you think if you weren't saved, you'd probably drink yourself to death, live a, a hard life, and age very quickly, like a man I visited just the other night in the hospital, two years younger than me, but he's been aged by heavy drinking, hard living, many uh, numbers of, of 
women and marriages and loss of children. Hard life. You know why? No wisdom. Live like the fool of Proverbs. So wisdom will give you days and it will give you profitable days. Wisdom is needed in living this life. Here's the Bible's instruction for growing older. Get ready for it. Pray that God will be your teacher throughout life and teach you the wisdom to live this life. Ask God to teach you to number your days upon the earth. And if we do not do this, we might find life at a certain stage to become very miserable and horrible, and we might want it to even end early. You know that Satan wants to do everything, wants you not to think about the shortness of life. He wants you not to muse on life. He wants to amuse you. He wants you to squander your life. He doesn't want you to think about the seriousness of life. He doesn't want you to count your days. Now, a guy gave me a, a gift about years ago, and I've really appreciated this gift. And he gave me two beautiful glass jars about this big. And he put in one of the glass jars marbles about that big. Not little tiny marbles, but good-sized marbles. And it had 80 marbles based on this scripture text. And he said, Alex, I know you are very keen about living a long life for the glory of God and to use your age for the gospel and for the church. He says, I want to give you this as a gift. It's really very beautiful. The marbles are all different colors. And so every year of my birthday becomes a ritual now. I gather my family together. This hurts. And I take a marble out of one jar and I put it in another jar. So now I have in one jar eight marbles left. Eight marbles left. And I have 72 marbles in the other jar. And I keep that in my office so I number my days. And I'm very serious about this. It's not a story I'm telling you. I'm very serious about what God has said. Number your days. Consider your days. It doesn't even make, it doesn't mean that I will even be able to put all these marbles over the eight over. Now, my wife said, well, what happens if you make it to 80? I said, I'm going to put 10 in this jar now. I'm going to do every year, we'll do 10. We'll do 10 at a time. So I don't want to, you know, press God on this or test God. We'll just do 10. Make it to 90. My father made it to 94. As long as I don't step in front of trucks or anything like that. So, we're to ask God. Now, now listen to a second. This is very practical. We're to ask God. This is a prayer request. David made it. Moses made it. Smart guys. They said, Lord, teach us to get a hold of life. Teach us to understand the shortness and the, and, and the speed at which it goes by. And as you get older, it goes quicker. Now, these young men back here, it's going really slow. They can't wait to drive and get a girlfriend and, and get a beard and all these things and uh, be in college and be on their own. And it's going so slow. I can remember in junior high looking at that clock. Those clocks were the slowest clocks in the world. I'd look at it and it's only 10 in the morning. We don't get out to 3.30. Oh, it's so horrible. And I remember the last day of junior high. I remember it vividly watching the clock. It didn't want to move. 
and it was 3.30 the last day I'm done with junior high. Same thing happened in high school. And when that clock turned, I ran out and took all my books. I didn't really care about studying those days. Threw them in the garbage waiting for the summer. It moves so slowly. Now at my age, whoo, that clock is like going like this. Monday to Friday, nothing, nothing anymore. A year, nothing anymore. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. It moves very quickly. I have a number of quotes. Let me just give you some here. Spurgeon said, we are more anxious to count the stars in our days. And yet the latter is by far more practical. Calvin said this, speaks of Moses' prayer here as a prayer for understanding divine arithmetic. Charles Spurgeon, with a great way of words, he writes this, a short life should be wisely spent. We have not enough time at our disposal to justify us in misspending a single quarter of an hour. Neither are we sure of enough life to justify us in procrastinating a single quarter of an hour. If we were wise in heart, we should know this. Bill McDonald wrote these words. If the shortness of life teaches us anything at all, it teaches us that whatever we plan to do, we must we better hurry Time won't wait. My father used to always say, time doesn't ever take time out. Billy Graham said, the greatest waste in all the earth, which cannot be reclaimed, is our waste of the time that God has given us each day. And then Stacy and Paula Reinhardt, in a very good book, Living in the Light of Eternity, said this, behind the ordinary circumstances and comments of life exists the knowledge that our time is limited. Death is the final curtain. An eminent presence forcing us to assess the meaning and value of existence itself. Life is too short to be squandered. Oh, is that true? Is that true? Let us be serious about this short, brief, fast-paced life that we live. It'll be over like a sigh. And we want to spend the rest of our time in a very practical way. How do we develop a heart of wisdom to face a quick, short, brief little life here upon earth and to use it for the glory of God. So let me give you, and we'll get started tonight, we're going to look at very practical ways to age gracefully and effectively for God. And remember, we're all aging. We're all aging. We're just at different seasons of life. And there are seasons of life. God makes seasons of life. He acknowledges that in the Bible. Practical suggestions for gaining a heart of wisdom. Number one, seek spiritual food and strength from God every day. Well, if you're going to age biologically, you better eat good. Get enough sleep. Well, the same is true for the whole person. Seek spiritual food and strength from God every day. 2 Corinthians 4.16, we do not lose heart. If there's anyone who could be depressed and lose heart, it's Paul. He had more problems than you could ever dream of. Most of us haven't been beaten several times. We haven't been stoned. We haven't been shipwrecked. We haven't been in hunger and starvation and danger. We do not lose heart. Twice he says it in the chapter 4. We do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, I have claimed this verse as one of my key verses for aging. 
Now, he says here, at a certain time, probably early 50s, mid 50s, the outward person is fading away. It's a biological truth. You cannot stop it. You can hold it back a little bit, but you can't stop it. There's a, per, a point in which the body just starts breaking, breaking down. The knees break down. The cartilage breaks down. Your eyes are not as good. You get cataracts. And then you get you can't hear as well. And your hair falls out or it turns gray. And you, you bend over a little bit more. And you're not as fast anymore. And have a hard time sleeping at night. And this bothers your stomach. And that bothers your sleep. And all of these problems... The outward self is wasting away and it can be very depressing. And for some people, it's very, very hard. A couple of people get through it, but most people at a certain age, physically, life is not that enjoyable. The golden years turn out to be the rusty years. But this is what's exciting about the Christian life that makes it different from the unsaved. Although the outward man is fading and breaking down and, and corrupting and finally will die, the inner man, the new man in Christ, alive with the Spirit, a saint of God, is every year being renewed. Does anyone want to correct me? Or anybody? What? Come on, yell it out. Wake up. You boys are awake. What does the text say? The inner man is what? What? Wait, did you say each day? How about each week? Each week? Each month? No, each day. Not each week, each month, each year. That's true. Technically, you're right. Quibbles over the text. The point is, every day you can have renewal. And yes, it adds up to be a week and a month and a year. So he's probably a scientist type of guy. So, you entered an eerie school or are you going into psychiatry or what? Firefighter. Okay. All right. He's a serious guy. He's a serious guy. We're going to talk about positive thinking because longevity experts say you have to think positive. Christianity is positive. I'm going to heaven, by the way. I know what the end is. It's better. But, while I live on this earth, my heart and my soul and my inner being, my mind, every day can be restored and renewed. We're going to see how to do that. So that's why I've taken this as a life verse that no matter what happens to my poor sick body, inside I'm younger, inside I'm growing, I'm maturing, I'm more Christ-like. And it's exciting to be a Christian. It's exciting to love the Bible. It's exciting to love to be with the Lord's people. It's exciting to serve the Lord. It's not a dull life. The Christian life is not a dull life. The unsaved life is a dull life. Do you ever see these people, they sit in a bar with a beer and they're just sitting there? I have a friend, a very dear friend. We grew up together and I have to visit him in the bars. One of the reasons I go visit him is just to see that whole lifestyle. Hey. Cold today, wasn't it? Yeah, it's cold today. Literally, this is, I'm not joking. Yeah. It's going to be warmer tomorrow. <laughs> warmer tomorrow. They sit there for hours. Just nonsense. Just not filling in some words. In fact, sometimes he's really gotten me laughing. Some of the, 
just nonsense they talk about in the bar. It's a boring life, terrible life. But the Christian life is an exciting life, and it's every day we can be renewed. We can be renewed in our spirit, and when we're renewed in our spirit, it does affect our physical bodies. Now, how do we get renewed every day? Now, this is important now, so let's go over to Luke chapter 10. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we get a real key here for this inner renewal. Not only do you stay young, spiritually, but you mature and grow and you're wiser in dealing with life. Now, the context here is love and it all starts out with a question by a lawyer and then you know you have the story of the Good Samaritan, love to neighbor. Then you have the story of love to God and that starts in verse uh, 38. And so, verse 38, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named, uh, called Mary. Now, here's a key text. Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Use your imagination for one second. Jesus is in a home. The disciples are with him. These are actually, the text doesn't bring us out right here, but they're very close friends to the Lord. They're all intimate friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And here is Mary. And every time you see Mary, she's at Christ's feet. Amazing woman. Amazing woman. A woman of great love for the Lord. And, and Mary, get the picture, she sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. Let me tell you, the greatest teacher that has ever graced this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ. All teaching from us is foo-foo compared to him. He was a great teacher. In fact, he wowed the crowds and people said, we never, we never heard teaching like this before. Never. He speaks with authority. Not like the rabbis quoting rabbi, rabbi, quoting another rabbi, rabbi said this and rabbi said that. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Oh boy, I could put my name in there. Alex was distracted with much serving. He was serving the Lord. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? He's basically rebuking the Lord that my sister has left me to serve alone. Notice, Mary was in there that she left her. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her. Now, it could seem like a little unfair here. One's lazy and one's doing all the work. But it's not the story. Martha, Martha, put your name in here. Alex, Alex. You are anxious, and you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Notice, one thing is necessary, not five things. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Real quick, I don't want to go into this story too much, you know it well. Christ is there. He is teaching the beautiful words, the beautiful teachings of Christ. He would be expounding on the Old Testament on the great stories, on the law of God, and what would come. And, and, and Mary is just right at his feet, listening to his teaching. She's absorbing it all. Now, the text shows that she was in the kitchen. But Martha's a busy bee. She's a, a type A personality. And she went overboard. And she's just doing all this preparation, worried. You know, got the pots and pans, wants the tablecloth to be nice, and have nice little candles. She wants to please Jesus. But really, what the Lord is saying is, I'd rather your presence than all your work. I'd rather your fellowship than all this work. You're bothered and you're troubled by many things and much serving. 
Now, you probably think people in full-time Christian work like myself and some others here, boy, you guys got a lot of time to pray and read the Bible and do these. No, we're just as busy as you are, and we get so many things that we have no time for the Lord. I can be so busy, I have no time for God. I call it the new idolatry. Wherever you go, all you hear people say, busy, oh, I'm busy, I'm so busy. Well, when you're so busy, you have no time for God, that's idolatry. And it can happen in the Lord's work. Missionaries can happen. Preachers can ha- this can happen to. Elders this can happen to. Now, here's what Jesus says. One thing is necessary. One thing. And here's that one thing. To sit at the feet of Christ and carefully listen to his words. Let me read a great quotation by Dr. David Goody. Listen carefully. It's a wonderful quotation. Life at best is short. We cannot do everything. There's not enough time. Like Mary, therefore, we shall have to choose and choose very deliberately. Life's affairs will not automatically sort themselves into true order of priorities. If we do not consciously insist at making sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his words our number one necessity, a thousand and one other things and duties, all claiming to be prior necessities, will tyrannize our time and energies and rob us of the good part in life. Life is a battle for sorting out what real priorities are. And you will, this doesn't go away when you get older. It's all through life. Whether you're young, young, who's ever the oldest, I don't know. I don't want to scare anyone. It doesn't go away. You must deal with the priorities and the busyness of life and all the demands of life. And you have to discipline yourself to say, one thing is necessary. Now, How do you sit at Christ's feet? Well, when you open the Word of God and you have what's called, it's an old-fashioned word. Some some of you may not even know the word. Quiet time. Quiet time. When you are quiet with God and you open His words, you are reading the very words of God. This is what God wants you to know. This is how you renew the inner man. And when you're quiet, and we live in a very noisy age, we even have a thing today called noise pollution. Noise pollution. Try to walk out on any street, you just hear car after car going by. It's very noisy. Everything's noisy. To be quiet and to read the Word of God and to talk to the Lord in communion is the way you strengthen the inner person and renew yourself and you grow and you mature, and you strengthen yourself, and encourage yourself. I like what George Mueller called it. He called it, make yourself happy in the Lord every day. Make yourself happy in the Lord every day. And he does that by quiet time with God. One of my favorite parts of the day, and particularly Saturday morning where I can give extra time to this, is to go to my study. It's quiet. To get up before anyone's up. Make a cup of tea, and I go to my desk, and it's usually very early in the morning, and it's quiet, and to read the word of the Lord, and not just read it to get through a bunch of pages, but to meditate. I usually like to take a three-by-five card like this, and just, so it slows me down, just 
meditate. I'm meditating now. I just finished uh, Second Corinthians. I'm, I'm meditating through Galatians right now. And just slowly meditate, ask questions, just think on the text. It's the way you make yourself happy in the Lord. It's the way you renew the inner man. We live in a noisy age, a fast-paced, moving age. Many of you here, many of you here knew the day before cell phones. You knew that day. In fact, I've made sure mine isn't on right now. We lived before the days of cell phones. We lived. We were able to do it. Most of us here lived before the days of computers. No one had personal computer. These things have not made life more convenient. They've made it more busy, more distraction. In fact, sociologists call this the day of distractions. So many distractions, so many sports, so many good things to watch on TV. I've never found what they are, but they are there. Movies to see. You ever notice the advertisements today? More and more gadgets to see movies. I remember the day when on a plane at night, there wasn't TVs on the plane. You'd see people reading. Now, walk down the same aisles and 95% are watching movies. They're not reading. This affects the spiritual life. This hyper-busyness affects the spiritual life. Fewer and fewer people really know their Bibles. Fewer people have even read the whole Bible. They don't have time. There's so many distractions. There's so many things calling for so many voices. So, unless you sit at Christ's feet and listen to Him and absorb His words and His truths, and seek to obey them, there's no way you can have the inner man grow every day. So I'm asking you to be 100% committed to a life that wants to sit at Christ's feet and listen to His words, absorb His words, let them penetrate deep into you, let them mold you and transform you. They are the words of God. It's what God wants you to know. You say, God, what do you want me to do? What's your purpose for me? What's your will for me? I don't know. It's all right here. A mature Christian should never ask that. Should never have to ask that. What is God's will for me? What is God's purpose for me? It's all here. And it's real clear. Now, many of us have a very hard time um, personally studying the Bible. And so, it's good to get into a Bible study group. It forces you to study. It forces you into the Word of God. It forces you to stay young. You, you will stay young when you are excited about the Bible and about the truths of God. It actually invigorates you. So get involved in a Bible study. Get involved with a group of people that are studying the Scriptures together. Now, there is much literature on longevity. These sermons are going to be about longevity and also about being spiritually healthy throughout life to the very end. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. They've got whole institutions today for longevity science. And the literature is uh, a mountain uh, quality today. You, you cannot keep up with all the literature coming out. And some of it's very, very good. So what you normally do, there's a certain key magazines, and they will tell you the newest and the truest of the studies. And it's all basically the same now. They're all basically agreed. We're going to see that what the longevity studies have shown is exactly what I, I'm going to show you is exactly in the Bible. And it's what the Christian life is to be. 
So everything we're discovering scientifically today about having living a, a better life longer is right in the scriptures. And here's a perfect example. In these longevity studies, they say positive thoughts, meditation on positive things will add seven and a half years to your life. But not only add seven and a half years, it will add quality to your life. Now, again, there's many studies that show this. What does David say? What does David say? He loves to meditate day and night on the law of God. Psalm uh, 1 2. Psalm 119. Delight is, my delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law I meditate day and night. Now, I've been meditating all my life. I'm not meditating on Om or emptying my mind. I am meditating every morning on the words of God that are true, that are life transforming, that will protect me and convict me and change me. We are to be meditators on the things of God. Now, longevity studies say that if you meditate, you will calm your heart and your blood pressure will go down and your pulse will go down. It will be healthy for you. So here I am reading my Bible in the morning, which I love, quiet time, and I'm helping my health. I didn't even know it. Who knows how far my blood pressure went down, my pulse went down. And then they say you need to be thinking positive thoughts. Not ne- People that actually are very depressed and have positive, a lot of negative thinking die early, or they're certainly miserable creatures. Well, there's nothing more positive than the Christian life. We know the beginning from the end. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Is that positive living? Now, you see, the positive thinkers are using positive thinking to get you to heaven. We're not using positive thinking to get to heaven. But once you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And now, Romans 6, you are alive to God. Let me repeat that to you. You are alive to God. That's positive. And I have the Lord's presence with me all the time. That's positive. I know that if if I'm killed tonight, or if I just go to bed and I don't wake up in the morning... I'm actually going to be in a better place. I'm getting home. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul even said, I, I prefer. It's far better to be with the Lord. I mean, that's positive thinking. And that's why Paul says, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We believe in the absolute divine sovereignty of God in our lives. All things work out for good for those who love God. I mean, God is working in us. I'm not just uh, walking around in a circle I think of that hymn, and this is a great hymn. It's a simple hymn, but boy, is it positive truth. When upon life's billows you are tempted, tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, get your medication out immediately. Go down to the donut shop and eat five donuts. Get on the phone and complain to all your friends how rough life is. No, no. Here's what happens when you're discouraging and thinking all is lost. 
count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. We're going to see a psalm about that later. Where the psalmist says, I go back and I think of all that God has done for me. My dear friends, the Christian life is a positive life. It's an upbeat life. You know, Sunday morning, I, could, I, I don't have to go to church on Sunday morning. I'm not a full-time preacher. I could stay home and go up skiing. But I wouldn't miss church. You know why? I love being there. I love being with the brothers and sisters. The excitement of seeing everyone. It's a positive life. Sitting in a bar Saturday night to 2 o'clock in the morning drinking. That is not a positive life. It's not. I have personal friends that illustrate that and prove that. It's not a positive life. It's a life of emptiness. And it ruins your body, by the way, and it ruins your mind. All these things that the longevity studies are showing, if you just live the Christian life, it's there. It's there. And then, one more point about this life of feeding yourself on the Word of God, because the Bible says the, the, the Scripture is food. It's actually spiritual food. Uh, the, the Bible says that man cannot live by physical bread alone. He can only live by the Word of God, which regenerates us and guides us and strengthens us and nourishes us every day. You cannot be a mature Christian. You cannot grow and be every day, every day renewed without the Word of God. You can't. It's the, it's the food of God. It's the Word of God. One, one final thing here, and that is the Spirit-filled life is a life of seeing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Turn to uh, Ephesians 5, just real quickly. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 18 says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We are to be Spirit-filled Christians, Spirit-controlled Christians. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another reverence to Christ, relationship. I want you to notice that the Spirit-filled life is a life of song. It's a life of singing. It's a life of making a melody in your heart. Now, this is a very interesting thing about music. Music is a multi-billion dollar industry in America. If you get it, I, I have a couple teenage uh, uh, grandchildren, and the first thing they do when they get in the car, guess the first thing they do? Turn the radio on, and they got it real loud. Now, I have mercy on them because I did the same thing when I was a teenager, so I try not to be an old folk. And they'll turn it up, and I'll say, just a little lower, please. First thing, you've got to turn that radio on. They live on music. Music is very, very, very powerful. Now, here's what's interesting, that whatever music you put in your head, it stays there. It stays there. Now, here's uh, something I just experienced. Well, let me give Christmas as a good example. I go to the gym at Christmas time, and they're playing Jingle Bells. And I got Jingle Bells in my head. Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells. I could not get it out of my head. 
I thought I was going insane. Really. I, I was just, I was saying, stop that. Stop it. Stop it. It gets in your head and it goes over and over. Isn't that right? So, I've learned. That happens. Get, get the Lord's words in, in your head. And so, you find yourself singing with melody in your heart to the Lord. Good things. Now, music changes the emotions. It works on the emotional level. That's why David could, with King Saul, who was a madman, probably having some kind of, uh, maybe satanic attack or something, I don't know, but he would go into these mad stages and probably some depression, and David would come with a harp. Must have been a skilled, a skilled musician. We know that from the Psalms he wrote, which are our music. And he plays the harp, and it just calms this savage soul, this, this uh, very wicked man, really, self-centered man. When people age, very often depression, and it can be biochemical, attack them. It can happen when you're young, too. Some people are very prone to depression. But if you will play good music, a good CD, if you will take a songbook and you will start your devotions with singing, maybe you don't want to read the Bible. Here's a way to want to read the Bible. Sing a song. Take your hymnal. Take your chorus book out. And just start singing. And if you have a totally lousy voice, play a CD. And it will change your emotions. Just like that, you'll want to read the Bible. Guaranteed. Music is powerful. So, the spirit-filled life, the spirit-controlled life, is a life where in your mind, you are singing a melody in your heart to the Lord. And you're singing it with others. That's why it's so important that we sing together as a congregation. And sing lively and put ourselves into the singing. It cheers the heart and changes the emotions in the mind. It prepares you for prayer. It prepares you for listening to the Lord. The Psalms are music. The Psalms are song, sung unto God. This is a way we sit at the Lord's feet and we prepare ourselves at the Lord's feet. So when you're at the Lord's feet, in fact, I have sung through many hymn books. Uh, do you still use that black hymn book here? To, no. Well, we still have that in our church. We don't use it too much. But some of the, as you know, Bob, the songs are just great. So I've sung through that a number of times, and our regular hymnal, I've sung through many times. I find it an essential part of my uh, devotion, and it's, again, preparing the heart. And it lifts up the heart. It's the way we sit at Christ's feet. It's the way every day we renew ourselves. So, yes, the outward body, it's falling apart. I, I can only stop so much of it. But my inner self, and this is why this, this could be your philosophy for aging. My inner self is not affected by that as much. And the inner self is every day renewed. I'm strengthened. I'm encouraged. I'm conforming to Christ. There's nothing that will help you with aging more than that. It's spiritual food. It's spiritual nourishment. It'll build you up. And I, I find hardly anything more encouraging than to see a man 70 years of age, 80 years of age, 90 years of age, going strong for the Lord. Now, let's close with this story. A man who started our church in 1963 was an amazing man. He had a regular full-time job. He was never in full-time work. Had a family of three. Had a very uh, good job, very good job. And uh, right to the very end, in his mid-80s, when he was dying of cancer, Absolutely strong for the Lord. No waning. 
No excusing himself because he's 85. So he's dying of cancer. He's nothing but bones and skin. And one day, one of the elders comes in to visit him. And he's sitting up in bed with his legs up. And he's sitting there reading a book. So the brother says to him, he says, now, Herb, what are you reading? Now, he's, he's days from death. Days from death. He's dying of cancer. So you think, what are you going to be reading? Days from death. You know, good book on how to buy a casket or how to have a good funeral or how to say goodbye to your loved ones, something like that. Listen to this. He's sitting there reading a book on Christian missions. He's reading a book on missions and he's going to die. So we're with him one day, three of us, and he had a beautiful voice, gorgeous voice. Even at the end, he could sing well. So three of us are there. We bring our hymn books with us. We sing a couple songs, have a little time of prayer. When he gets done, he was very famous for his little three-by-five cards. He'd keep in his top pocket. Pulls his, uh, his card out, which we knew was coming, out of his pajama pocket, and he goes down some names that he wants us to call. And he's very concerned for Al Mater because he hasn't been around for a while. And he says, well, you really need to call him. Never mind. I'll call him. You, And we're all doing everything we can not to laugh. Here the guy is getting ready to die, and he's concerned about the sheep. And uh, just amazing man. But here's what's amazing. He's 85 years of age. He's dying, and he's going strong for the Lord. He wants to sing the Lord's praises. Now, that's encouraging. And if you older ones think younger people don't like older people, it's because maybe you've done something wrong. Younger people are looking for models. They're looking for people like this. Going strong for God. Learning, growing, pressing forward at an old age. They're looking for people like that. And they want to know people like that. And if you just show them a little interest, they will respond. They will respond. So, the inner man, the inner man, at 85, is being renewed every day. That's proper aging. Let's pray. Lord, help us to grasp the wisdom of aging. The wisdom to live in a world that shortens our life, speeds our life, and makes it pretty miserable at times. Give us the wisdom to live wisely. May we know that your word shows us how to live properly and to add days to our life and add quality to our lives and purpose to our lives and, and real significance and meaning to our lives. That we're not just waiting to the end. We're not just killing time. We're bearing fruit for God. We're pleasing God. We're doing good deeds. We're excited about life. Right to the very end. May this be true of every one of us here. Amen.